emotional, <clears throat> for sure. God is good. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be in Proverbs today, um, chapter 3, so if you'd open your Bibles, if you have one. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 8. I'll read the text and then pray for the preaching of God's word. <clears throat> I can get my voice back. <clears throat> the words will appear. Oh, there they are. Okay. God's word says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your straight, he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Father, as we dive into your word this morning, Lord, I, I, I pray that we will see your love and truth coming out of these, these words that you have written down for us to, to learn from, to, to know, and to, and to live. So, Father God, help us now. Holy Spirit, help us to see your word and to, to receive your word, Father. That we may be enlightened, enriched, and taught for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I were to have to sum up our text into a concise statement, it would be something like this. Chapter 3 of Proverbs is an education in how to live life well. How to live well at home, at work, in every aspect of our life. We humans have an obsession with extending life. But not just prolonging it, but rather extending it while at the same time looking young. I mean, who wants to be 120 and look like you're 120? We'd rather be 120 and look like we're 20, right? But age and looks are a mirage for most of us. Granted, there are some people you might say, wow, they're 75? Man, they don't look a day over 60. 
No, I, I, don't, I don't think our obsession is with extending life as much as it is a desire to know what we know at, what we know at 60 when we had it, bodies that were 20. If I knew then what I know now, how many of you said th- have said that before? If I knew then what I know now, thinking that we have to look young in order to have a good life is, is way off base. Proverbs teaches us how to live a good life for the glory of God. And it doesn't go into special creams and, and lotions you need to tighten up your face or testosterone pills to, you need to build muscle and beat your best. Wink, wink, like the commercials say. God shows us the way to shalom, verse 2. Good success in verse 4 and refreshment in verse 8. This is, this is life lived well. Shalom is a Hebrew word meaning peace, harmony, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. Tranquility. I, I like that word, tranquility. It sounds so peaceful. I like peace and quiet. With my hearing going nowadays, when I want peace and quiet, I just take my hearing aids out. It's very peace and quiet. Tranquility. In Proverbs 3, God shows us the way to peace good success and refreshment. He shows us how to live well. And he does this in a fatherly, loving way. He doesn't threaten us with words like, you better do this or you won't have a peaceful life. No, he actually starts off chapter 3 with the words, my son. My son. God is speaking to us as his beloved ones, his adopted children, the ones he chose. None of us were forced upon God. He picked us to be his children. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. As it says in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every special blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Did you hear those words? In Christ, he chose us in love for adoption to himself to the praise of his glorious grace. He chose us. And now as his beloved, he's instructing us on how to live life well for his glory. 
the way God references is like a father does to his child who he dearly cares for, one who his interest is in seeing success. See, God wants for us to do well. Length of days and years of life and peace, verse 2. Favor and good success in the sight of God and man, verse 4. Barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine, verse 10. And in verse 16, riches and honor. Wow. That's a lot of prosperity, isn't it? Barns filled, vats bursting, riches and honor. But do not mistake God's love and desire for us to do well with some who would term as the prosperity gospel. We do not preach that here. The prosperity gospel is found nowhere in the Bible. Let me say that again. The prosperity gospel is found nowhere in the Bible. The prosperity gospel is cold-hearted materialism in religious disguise. It chooses selected Bible verses for a name-it-and-claim-it agenda. It does not love God. It seeks to use God for our selfish gain. The prosperity gospel never says words like it says in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, where it says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The rewards spoken about in chapter 3 are good, and they are from God. God loves to give us good gifts and desires for us to have them and gives, gives them out as he sees fit. But God also allows us to experience pain and suffering. We know that all too well because he says it in his word and we see it in our, in our own community. In God's word, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes up upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And in 1 Peter 5.10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace will restore, make us right again. Confirm, approve us, strengthen us, make us perfect, and establish you, set, it, set us at his table. 
But even before we're called to his eternal glory in Christ, God sends both earthly blessings and earthly sorrows. Think of Jesus. He suffered at the cross and prospered at the resurrection. Your suffering will end for you at death when your body finally fails. We all, it it happens to everybody. But you will reap the reward of eternal life through the resurrection made possible by Jesus Christ if you have accepted Christ into your heart and confess him as your Savior. That's what we have to look forward for. I know this has been a long introduction, but we're going to get now to our passage. And I have only two points this morning, so I'm not, I'm breaking the pastor law, I suppose, of not having three points. <laughs> this passage has two central themes. The shalom God gives, and that's going to be in verses one through four, the first, first part. And then the trust God demands And that's the second part, verses 5 through 8. These will be my main points for this morning. And from these themes, I also formulated my title for the message, which is, The Shalom God Gives Through the Trust God Demands. So let's look at that. Let's begin with point number one, The Shalom God Gives. Now, something I'm going to point out while we're looking closely at these verses, is how God, um, our wise father, links his counsel uh, to incentives. Look at the first two verses. The counsel is this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. That's his counsel. And then the incentive is this. For length of days and years of life and peace... They will add to you. See the counsel and the incentive. The incentive is shalom. Length of days and years of life. In other words, long life and peace. Shalom. And what is it we need to obtain this long life and peace? This this shalom? What, What do we need? Well, two things that he gives us in his counsel. His teaching and his commandments. Two things that are key in order for us to find our way to shalom. And his counsel is that we do not forget his teaching. And we put his commandments, his law, in our hearts. All of us have experienced the following at one point time or another. We're, we're taught something. Maybe it's, it's something we're not really interested in or something that's not very exciting or perhaps it's, it's difficult. And five minutes after we're taught it, we forget everything that we were just taught. Does that happen to you? It happens to me all the time. Um, that's usually because the incentive to learning it and not forgetting wasn't great enough. But God is saying, in this text here, he's saying, pay attention. Pay attention. This is important. This is important, and it will bring you great reward. 
This is valuable stuff, so don't forget it. He's also telling us to put his commands, his commandments, his law into our hearts. So what does that mean? What does it mean to put something into our hearts? Well, the heart is the engine that, that keeps the blood and oxygen flowing through our body, keeps us alive, right? God wants for us to put his commandments into the place that keeps us alive so that it can begin to work its way through our entire life. Pay attention. Do not forget my teachings and put my commandments into your hearts because it will bring you peace and long life. Don't be a fool. Remember chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. God is instructing us here, and he's saying, don't forget. Pay attention. Put my law into your hearts. More counsel and incentive to find shalom in verses 3 and 4 now. The counsel, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And the incentive... So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Steadfast love and faithfulness. These are characteristics of God himself. God is speaking of himself in Exodus 34, 6 when he says, Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is his description of himself. So he's saying... Don't let these characteristics, my characteristics, forsake you. Don't let them leave you. Let them define who you are. Bind them around your neck. In other words, wear them for others to see. This is what you, when you want to wear some, some nice jewelry or a nice tie. How you like my tie? I've had this probably 35 years, right? You wear them on you. You wear them around your neck. You want people to see them. This is what he's, he's saying. Wear them around your neck for others to see them. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Make them a part of your life so that you can draw them up immediately when needed. A person of steadfast love and faithfulness is somebody who you can trust. He's not someone to be feared, but but everything to be admired in such a person. Because these characteristics, if they're in a man like myself or in a woman, like they're, they're, that's God in them. God's characteristics in them. When you hear someone say of another person, he's a godly man or she's a godly woman, what are they saying? They are speaking of someone who displays the characteristics of God. And in this case, Steadfast love and faithfulness. Someone who can be trusted. And it is these characteristics that will help you to find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. 
This is the shalom. This is the peace, the harmony that God gives. It's both personal. We saw that in verses 1 and 2. And social, verses 3 and 4. So how do we get there? Well, here's how. Point number two. The trust God demands. The trust God demands. Again, with the counsel and incentive in verses 5 and 6. We read the counsel. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And then the incentive... And he will make straight your paths. Now this is something that we usually find very hard to do. That is, trust in the Lord wholeheartedly with all our heart. That is because we think or we believe we know better. Does that describe you? It oftentimes describes me. I think I know better than God, and so I'm going to do it my way. We lean on our own understanding. Our sinful desire is to be independent and not dependent on God. But the counsel from God is to trust him in all things, with all our heart, and to resist leaning on our own understanding. This, these are the words that God is telling us. And if, we're, if we are trusting in him in everything we do, then we will also be able to acknowledge him in every, everything that we do, in all ways. We'll be able to give credit to him because it's all due to him. And the reward for acknowledging him and trusting him is... He will make our paths straight, more peace and tranquility in our lives, and fewer twists and turns that cause derailment. And then in verses 7 and 8, the Father is warning us against a spirit of self-assurance. It's the opposite of trusting in the Lord, being wise in our own, our own eyes. Here's the counsel. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And the incentive, it will be healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. How many of you remember the song by Frank Sinatra called My Way? I want to read some of the words from that song. I had never read these before, and I, I found them, and I, my goodness, it was very interesting. <laughs> Listen to these words. I haven't posted. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, 
when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. Listen to this. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Wow. <laughs> wow. I think it's sad that we glorify the know-it-all who does it his way. Here's what the Bible has to say about that. Proverbs 26.12 says this. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Wow. More hope for a fool than for him. In addition to the counsel, the warning not to be wise in our own eyes is to fear the Lord and turn from evil. Let's camp here for a minute. Is it possible for anyone to fear the Lord and turn from evil? Do you suppose it's possible for anyone to turn or to fear the Lord and turn from evil? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. God has made clear to us who he is, so it's possible. It's possible for anyone to fear God, to have reverence for who he is, the creator of the universe and all things in it. In Romans 1, verses 19 through 20, he says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So yes, it's possible for anyone to fear the Lord. Even very bad people can believe there is a God. Okay. What about turn from evil? Well, we know there are good people out there. Everywhere and anywhere you look, you can find good people. Certainly no one who is sinless, but we know people who turn from evil all the time, who, who don't sin in evil ways. People who are nice and get along with others. They follow the laws. They get along. They do nice things. They may even do special things for society. Maybe they're inventors or creators or, or, or some, kind of that, some, some, some kind that improve the lives of others. Maybe they create something that does that. 
Maybe they're hard workers and contribute to the well-being of others. There's, there's all sorts of good people who you could say turn from evil and don't do bad things. So yes, it's possible for anyone to fear the Lord and turn from evil. But, but is it enough to get the incentive that God gives us in verse 8? Remember verse 8, it says, It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the incentive. Here's my answer. No. It's not enough. It's not enough. Not if you have an accurate understanding of what verse 8 means. Let me explain. I believe that verse 8 speaks of restoration and reconciliation with God. How else do we receive healing of the flesh, which is another way of saying forgiveness of our sins, and refreshment for our bones, which is another way of being made whole and complete with our Father, to be renewed and restored to our Creator, to be reconciled and established as a child of God, complete with an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. Are we able to get there on our own? Are we capable of attaining salvation through our own means? Can we receive complete reconciliation and be completely forgiven for the offense we have made against God by our own merit? By fearing the Lord and turning from evil? Can we get there by just doing that? We've already established that anybody can do that on their own. Is it possible at all? Is there a remote chance that even some of us good people can be accepted into God's kingdom on our own merit? If it is at all possible, then why would Christ have to die? Jesus became a man, lived a sinless life, sacrificed his perfect life, and offered himself up as a ransom to pay for the sins of man because it was not possible for man on his own to make up for the offense against God. The offense was too great, and we needed a great recompense the sacrifice of God's only son. Two Corinthians five twelve says this for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in order to receive the healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones, 
We must trust the Lord with all our heart. We must trust fully that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to propitiate the wrath of God. We must trust fully that God's wrath was poured out fully on him who knew no sin so that I could be made right with God. If we have faith and trust God with all our heart, if we trust our Savior Jesus Christ with all our heart, if we accept and confess that he died for my sins and acknowledge him in all my ways, then my path shall be made straight and I shall be saved. And I will receive healing to my flesh and refreshment to my bones. As the band comes up, let me close with these thoughts. Proverbs 3 is an education in how to live life well. How to live life well at home, at work, in every aspect of our life. God, our Heavenly Father, who cares for his children, wants for us to live well for his glory. He encourages us not to forget his teaching, to write his word into our hearts because it will bring us peace and long life. He tells us not to let steadfast love and faithfulness leave us and to wear them so others will know that we are his children so that we will have favor and good success, wisdom for us personally and socially. And the trust that he demands that we trusted the Lord with all our heart is because his love, the love of his son given as a sacrifice for our sin so that we may be reconciled with him is worth our complete trust in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's worth an eternity of no more suffering, no more tears, no more sorrow. It's worth an eternity of living in a place where you walk on streets of gold, and the heavens sing hallelujah to our king. Salvation through Jesus Christ has broken the bondage of sin and has guaranteed us this life everlasting in the age to come. But until then, although we live in a broken world, a world full of evil and destruction, a world that is perishing, we can still have shalom here on earth because he promises it. The way to shalom, the way to peaceful living, the way to God-glorifying living. God-glorifying living in the home, at work, and in all aspects of our life. Acknowledging him in all our ways so that he will make straight our paths. Trusting in the Lord with all our heart and accepting salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, so that we may receive healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. The shalom here on earth and the shalom to come in the new heaven 
how to live life well. The shalom that God gives through the trust that God demands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us this way to peace and long life while we're here. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us a way into heavenly eternity where there won't be no, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more sin. And you've given us that way through your son who sacrificed his life so that we would have life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.